Okay, well, we're going to um, make a start, so find a seat when you've got a moment. We are in a little four-week series where we decided at the start of the year we wanted to do something a little different and talk on four words that Jesus says in the Gospels. Now, Jesus obviously says a lot more than four words. There's lots of different words and kind of like key instructions that he gives that we could have picked, but we kind of landed on four. The first two we've done, we talked about Jesus says, come to me. And it's so important that our relationship with God is based on our understanding that he invites us. We, we love him because he first loves us. We don't earn our way in. There's no way of escalating towards him. Jesus steps down into our world. So the incarnation, the Christmas story is powerful, not simply because Jesus is coming to earth, but because of what it tells us about the gospel. It says he steps into our darkness to to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us. And pretty much every other world religion is about us climbing the ladder and trying to do enough. Whereas the gospel is completely the opposite. It is about God coming to us and rescuing us. And Jesus says, come to me. If you're thirsty, if you're weary, if you're hungry, come to me. And it is always, always, always that way around. It is not come to me and then you go and earn it. The second half, you pay me back. It's never like that. That's a kind of legalistic understanding of Christianity. It's not, here's the free bit and here's the bit you earn. Here's the bit you pay him back. No, it's come to me, keep coming to me. (laughs) Come to me. And that's what you have to do. When you come to worship, you're not coming to, to win his approval. You come knowing you have his approval. When you read your Bible, you're not coming to earn any points. Hey, if I read my Bible every day, maybe God will... No, you come not to win anything. You come to, to receive something. So he's saying, come to me, come to me. And he's out of that place and out of that heart at place that we get free and we get to live. So it's always come to me. But also Jesus says, now follow me. That's what we talked about last week. And there's this sense of you have to leave some stuff to follow. And becoming a Christian is not a bolt on. It's not like, well, I'll have a little bit of Jesus... And then I'm just going to carry on my life. And Jesus can help me in the bits that I can't handle. I'll tag him in or I'll use him as a consultant. Or when I can't fix that thing, I'll ask him to fix it for me. Now, God is very gracious because most of us handle God in that way at some point. And God still often does help us. But fundamentally, Jesus goes, leave and follow. In fact, you have to die to some things. Right at the center of becoming a Christian is a death. That's why baptism, when people are baptized... It is a picture of death. I've died to an old life. Now I'm living a new life. And Christianity and being a follower of Jesus is in one sense a very radical thing. Because it's saying I'm not going to be the centre of my own life anymore. I am trusting you that you have much better plans for me than I can extract from life for myself. So I'm going to follow. And today I want to talk about one other word that Jesus says and that is the word wait. And at the end of Luke... And then at the start of Acts, Jesus says basically these words, which he reiterates at the start of Acts. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. On one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. So Jesus talks at the end of Luke and at the start of Acts about waiting. And right at the end of this service, we're going we're gonna to invite we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to pray for some. We want to invite you to step forward and we would like to pray for you if you'd like to be prayed for. Now, you can, you can meet with God as you are, sitting where you are, in your seat as you are. You can do that, absolutely. But the Bible also talks about lay on hands, pray for one another, step out of, in one sense, step forward into what he's got for you. So we want to invite you to do that later on. Now, when it comes to waiting, there are not many people I know who enjoy waiting, Right? I know people who like eating, who like walking, who like sleeping. I know like, people who like cooking and painting. I even know people who like working. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I love a good wait. Yeah? Nothing I like better than a good wait. Has any, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. And yet waiting is a huge part of our lives, right? Now some waiting can be full of excitement. So when I was a kid in the UK, we would celebrate Christmas on the 25th. And in our family, at least, and this was probably true in lots of families, you'd, you'd often have kind of like two types of presents. They were like kind of like small presents that they often put in stockings. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But that's, you know, and they'd be at the bottom of your bed when you woke up and you'd get the small stuff. And then later, or at some point in the day, you'd get the big presents, right, that you were waiting for, particularly if you were fortunate to have a mum and dad from your parents, right? And as a kid, in our family, at least, that had to be, that was later on in the day. It didn't come in one deluge of presents. It was spread out, which was hugely frustrating as a child because you've already waited through December, probably through November, and then you get to Christmas Day and you kind of do the small stuff. That's all nice, but really it's the foothills to the Himalayas that are to come of the presents. And it was like, there's church. It's like, oh God, we've got to go to church. And you come back from church and then it's Christmas lunch, which was great, but it's the biggest dinner in history. So it takes forever to cook it. And, and then you're kind of there, and you're there with grandma, and she takes forever to eat her dinner as well. So that's long, and then you finish dinner, and you're ready. No, 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 it's the washing up, and everyone has to do the washing up, and there's like just like epic proportions of washing up to do, and you finish the washing up, and you think, are we going to, no, 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 now we have to watch. In the UK, it was the Queen's speech. The Queen is on TV for 10 minutes, and you have to watch her for 10 minutes. Like, and then eventually at the end of that, it was presence time. It was, like this, it was exciting, but like it was pretty like hardcore as well when you were a kid. But some, some waiting is exciting. Some waiting is just very tedious, isn't it? You wait for a bus, you wait for a train, you get in a traffic jam where you could have just come off on the, you know, the junction before and you chose to ignore your sat-nav and carry on thinking you knew best, and then you're stuck in traffic for however long. Last night, Sarah and I flew back from the UK. We'd been in the UK for about 36 hours. <clears throat> It was all fine, and then we got to passport control, and it was like, there's like one person on passport control with about a thousand people, and you're just like waiting. It's just, I'm not enjoying the waiting. It's just tedious, right? But some waiting isn't just tedious. Some waiting is a bit scary, yeah? Or, or it's challenging. It's, it feels threatening. You, you, know, you know when you haven't got work, but you're, you're applying for work, and you are waiting to hear back about the interview. Or you've been to the doctor and you've had the blood test and you are waiting for the results. And that is not a pleasant type of waiting. It's pretty, it can be pretty challenging. It can be scary. It feels stormy. It is, if you like, what I want to call hard waiting. 
And hard waiting for me is a bit like, there's a picture going to come up. It's a bit like, for me, the way you navigate it sometimes, it feels more like a mountain pass. Uh, I don't know if it's a, is it going to, yeah, here we go. And you kind of got to walk it somehow, but you know on either side there can be some drops. Some challenging stuff when you kind of go through waiting. It can be very, very uncomfortable. And as I've thought about it, waiting at times for a Christian, maybe for everybody, but certainly for Christians, is full of some spiritual dangers. And if you think about a mountain pass that maybe has even sheerer drops than this, there's kind, of, there's kind of dangers on either side. One danger of waiting is that basically when you're waiting, you're living in effectively a gap. You're living in a gap between your present reality and your circumstances and what you are hoping and praying for. That's what you're hoping for, but you're not there. You're living this side waiting and praying for it. And so there's a gap in between where you are now and where you want to be. And when you live in the gap, there are dangers on either side. There are questions that come up about God. Is God able to provide? Is he who he says he is? Is he good? Does he have good plans for us, for me? If we have a family, does he have good plans for our kids? Does he love them? Is Jesus telling me the truth? And we have to face those questions. And if we're not convinced that the answer to those questions is a yes, then there can be challenge on both sides of the path, as it were, and can lead us if we flip on one side or the other into some quite dangerous and quite unhealthy kind of behaviours. On one side, when we are waiting for something that hasn't happened yet, that we are praying for, on one side of the danger is that it can drive us, the fear that God won't be good to us, can drive us into taking matters into our own hands. Yeah? It can drive us into going, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort it myself then. And there's a, there's a well-known story in Genesis where God says to Abram, if you know the story of Abram and Sarah, says to Abram and Sarah, you're going to have a child, and through this child is going to be a promise to the nation and all the nations of the earth. But it is a ridiculous promise because they are both far too old. She has never been able to conceive. So a promise comes into barrenness and old age for something that is only possible for fertility in young age. And it is, a, it is a ridiculous promise. And yet God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You are going to have a son. And they, they wrestle with this. In fact, both Abraham and Sarah, they laugh at God. Both of them are recorded as being cynical about it. They don't believe it. They flip in between faith and fear. They, the waiting is laced with anxiety and challenge. And in the end, they just can't deal with the shame and the hopelessness of it anymore. So Sarah and Abram take it into their own hands. And Sarah says to Abram, listen, why don't you take my, my servant, Hagar, and you go and sleep with her, and then if she gets pregnant, then we'll have a son. And Abram, being a great man of faith, immediately capitulates and goes, oh, okay then. Like, and he just kind of like gives in, and off he goes. And this woman has a baby, has a child. And they immediately take it into their own hands. But if you know the story, what happens is, as soon as they take into their own hands what they feel like God promised something, they were hoping for something, but they can't wait any longer for God to do it. So they take it. As soon as they do that, it just creates, just, it just creates chaos. It doesn't deal with the issue of shame for her, for Sarah. It doesn't give them the son thereafter. Sarah starts to resent Hagar. 
Sarah blames Abraham. Abraham abdicates all responsibility and says to Sarah, well, you do what you want with her. So they, they, she abuses Hagar, okay, and sends her away. And the only thing that happens in the end is God intervenes on Hagar's behalf and rescues her. But it all stems from God speaks to them. They are waiting for something, but they're in the gap. And because they can't cope with the gap, they give up and go, well, we'll take it into our own hands. And it creates utter chaos in their lives. And we're all prone to that. Like we're, we're here in the reality of our lives. Some of it is great. Some of it is very difficult. We're singing songs and believing that God will bring deliverance in our lives and one day in eternity. And yet the holding on and not giving into doing it on our own terms is a massive issue. Yeah? It can, it can affect all sorts of things. It can affect us financially. You know, I need, to, God, I need, I need us to earn more money. We need, and you, in the end you think, okay, I'm not going to wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way I handle my tax return then. Oh, I'll just, you know, adjust that issue. Or, you know, when we're dating, we think, well, I'm waiting for someone who's a great Christian guy to come across, or a great Christian girl to come across. And I just can't, I just don't meet them. So I'm just going to take it into my own hands and just find someone else. I'm not going to wait. Or whatever, you can, you can kind of take it down all sorts of avenues of our lives and we can take it into our own hands. And it's, it's a bit scary, but we all know the challenge of it. So it can drive us into behaviours, but also the waiting, if we don't handle it, if we don't navigate the path right, can drive us to the other side, which is where it just it paralyses us. We don't do anything. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, and everyone's like, oh yeah, well, David slays Goliath, great, well... Before that, though, the story is actually for 40 days, the entire army are there. And every day they're there, they don't move, and Goliath comes out and taunts them and says, come on in. Basically, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough, is what Goliath says. And the whole army are frozen. They just don't, I don't mean the Disney song, Frozen. I mean, they just, they don't move. Okay, they don't step forward they don't retreat. They just don't know what to do. They're just totally frozen. And waiting, living in the gap of what we're praying for, hoping for, and yet what we're experiencing and the difference between them can either drive you into unhealthy stuff where you take it into your own hands and you disregard what you know God has said to you about what is on limits and what's off limits for you and just holding on and trusting. Or it can do it the other way where you just like, I just, you just... You just like hit a wall. You just paralyzes you. You don't step into anything because fear grips you in such a way that you just don't move anymore. So waiting can be very, very hard. Lewis Smedes puts it like this. Waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. And that's why it's hard. And yet life is full of waiting. And the Bible is full of waiting. Abraham and Sarah have to wait. Joseph is given a remarkable prophetic dream, right? But he has to wait for years. Makes all sorts of horrible mistakes. In the meantime... He has to wait for the fulfillment of it. It doesn't come fast. We live in a life that goes, I want it right now. I want it microwaved. I want it drive through. I want it instant now. And if it doesn't happen now, then 
then obviously it's never going to happen. And yet, actually, often in the Bible, there's, a, there's waiting. Moses is told to deliver the people from slavery. They're going to go into a land. But in the end, they have 40 years in the wilderness before they ever get into a land, and he doesn't even get in there. David is anointed king by the foremost prophet in the land. He has to endure 15 years before he becomes king. So he's anointed as the king. He's prophesied that he's going to become the king. He's picked out, and yet it's 15 years, and a lot of that 15 years is suffering at the hands of Saul. So waiting often involves hard stuff, suffering, discomfort, sometimes, yes, straight-ahead opposition. And yet, waiting is full of the possibility of growth and change and good stuff. Because if in the waiting we realize it explodes the myth that we're in control of everything, okay? Waiting makes you realize I'm not in control of everything that I want to be in control of. Well, if that's true, waiting also brings clarity to the fact that there is one who is in control. Waiting reminds us that although we're small and weak and vulnerable, it also can push us, if we go the right way, to lean into the truth that there is one who is strong and able. If waiting can bring confusion to us and fear and paralysis to us, waiting can also bring great clarity to us about what matters in our life and what does not. Yeah? We live in a world that wants to teach us all these things matter, and yet sometimes when you suddenly think these things, and you get into a scenario like this where you're waiting for deliverance of some sort, it brings it into clarity. You know, you talk to anyone who's been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, suddenly things get clear. You know, those things don't matter anymore. This matters, but that doesn't. Clarity comes. And waiting has, can have that kind of impact. So waiting is hard, can be very hard, and can drive us into all sorts of unhealthy stuff, right? If we don't navigate the path right. But waiting can, it seems to me, be God's ordained way of bringing hope and growth to us. Strangely, it can go either way. And so that's why often in the Bible, when you read passages about waiting, it is linked to growth and hope and change. We think, it doesn't, in our world, it's like, well, that doesn't, waiting doesn't sound very positive. It's not a positive ex- you know, experience. But actually, biblically, sometimes waiting is the difference between growing or not growing. So Isaiah 40, you guys, I suspect, will notice. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, or in some translations, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Where does the strength come from? It comes from the waiting. Where does the strength, who does it come to? It comes to the weak and the vulnerable. So the difference between being strengthened or not strengthened is what? Waiting. So God appears to take us through seasons of waiting because he is wanting to strengthen and change us. Sometimes it's like, seems to be like God's fitness regime in our lives. And what you discover in the waiting often is God is more interested in who we're becoming than what we're going to do. We think our lives are all about what we're going to do. And God does use us. But often, 
He's more interested in who you are becoming than what you're going to do. Uh, John Ortberg, uh, in uh, one of his books, reflects on a story about Henry Nguyen. And you may or may not have heard of Henry Nguyen. He's quite a well-known author and writer in certain circles. And it talks about before his death, Henry Nguyen became friends with uh, some people in a, in a circus. He's quite an interesting, very reflective, deep thinker, Henry Nguyen, and became friends with some guys in a, in a circus. And he writes about the experience of meeting the trapeze artists in a book called Sabbatical Journeys. And this is what Ortberg says about Henry Nguyen's friends of the, the trapeze artists. He writes about some friends of his, and they were, they were with the circus, and their lives had an effect on him. They were called the Flying Rodellas. And one thing they told Henry Nguyen is that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on a trapeze. The flyer is the one that lets go, and the catcher is the one who catches. Now, as you might imagine, this relationship is important, especially to the flyer. I think there's a quote here. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He arcs out into the air, and his job is to remain as still as possible and to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. The trapeze artist told Nguyen, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. The flyer flies, and it is the catcher who catches, in other words, in trapeze artists. Psalm 27 says this, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. We don't like waiting. Like I said, waiting can be very hard. But waiting at times is part of growing. It's part of being changed. And waiting actually produces character in us. And God is interested in the character he is producing in us. I haven't got this on the screen, but that's why Paul writes in Romans. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, waiting, but holding on, produces character, and character produces hope. And that is a hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So part of waiting is perseverance, character, and hope, which doesn't allow shame to come. But maybe the greatest promise about waiting is the one we heard right at the start, where Jesus says to a bunch of very confused, very scared disciples who had spent three years with him, but suddenly everything had been turned upside down. He died, but then he'd come back. Then he says, now wait Wait for my spirit to be poured out. Now, theologians will teach you, rightly so, that this is a one-off, pivotal moment in church history. Pentecost. It is like the dawning of a new age of church life, where the Holy Spirit is not just given to a few people at specific times, but now poured out on everybody who asks for him. Okay? From now on. So Pentecost opens up a new history, if you like, in, church, in the church life. 
That is true. It is unique. And yet, at the same time, whilst it is unique, what Pentecost does is opens up an ongoing experience for us of the Spirit. You only become a Christian by the work of the Spirit. That's very clear. So if you're a believer, that has happened because of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's very clear biblically. But also, we are told to go on experiencing the Spirit. To go on living in the Spirit. So, here's the slight irony. We find that our ability to walk through life that often means enduring a lot of waiting for things to happen that haven't happened for us yet or to things to open up that haven't opened up. Actually, our ability to walk through that rests on our ability to wait for him and ask for more of his spirit. So in some ways, our ability to handle this kind of waiting is dependent on our ability to lean into another kind of waiting and to come to him and to wait for him and to ask for him. You read the New Testament, it just says again, we are to ask for the Spirit, you are to be filled with the Spirit, to go on being filled with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit, to use the gifts of the Spirit, to experience the fruits of the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and to live by the Spirit. In other words, if you read through Paul's epistles, you don't really get to live it out as a Christian unless you are doing it by the Spirit. If you don't do it by the Spirit, you'll end up doing it by your own strength. And that's a pretty miserable way to be a Christian. Galatians 5, Paul writes this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. How do we get through the waiting? Paul says, through the Spirit. We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, before you go, before you act, before you get out in the world and do the thing that I'm calling you to do, before you, you go out into work, before you go into your offices, before whatever it is you're going to go, wait for me. Come to me. Don't move without me. Only go with me. And I think that's what Jesus says to us. I think... He says to us, before you go, before you head out, before you do that new thing, before you get to work, before you engage with that, whatever it is, wait for me. Go with me. Don't go on your own. Go with me. And so, in the time we have left this morning, that's what I'd like us to do. Now, waiting doesn't mean being passive. It's not like, you know, like kind of, come on down, God. It's about actively saying to him, okay, I need you. And I need your work in my life. I need your help. I need you to strengthen me because I'm not strong enough on my own. I need you to remind me of the truth that I believe, but sometimes I don't believe. I need you to shift this thing from my head to my heart. I need you to come and be who you say you are. I need you to come and work in my life. I need you to change my heart. I need you to take me from unbelieving to believing. I need you to kind of fill my sails again. Because I can't fill my own sails. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm tired of trying to do that. That's what waiting is. It's about saying, Jesus, you say you're the bread of life, so come and feed me again. 
You say to me, come if you're weary. I'm weary, so come and, come and meet with me. You say, take my yoke. It's easy. Well, I want to take your yoke and I want to get rid of my own that I keep producing for myself. I don't, I don't want to be driven. I want to follow. I want to go and I want to do stuff, but I only want to go with you. So it's not a passive thing. It's not a, well, I'll wait around and see if God... No, it's I'm going to step into, okay, God, I'm going to ask you, please. And Jesus said, like, ask and you'll receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Keep asking. Those of you who are fathers, who are evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children. And how much more, Jesus says, does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? So that's what it is. So I want us in the time we have remaining to do exactly that. Okay? We live in a world, and actually in a Western Christianity, which is often all about go, go, go. Do stuff for God. And that's great. And that is exactly right. But you only do stuff for God if you go with him. You've got to go with him. Don't go on your own. So we're going to do exactly what he encourages us to do. We're going to come to him. We're going to sing songs. If you're comfortable, you might want to lift your hands. And then I'm going to invite some people out. If you think, I really need to experience God today. I need to experience him touching my life. I need to feel God again in a new way or I just want to come again, then we're going to say, why don't you step forward and we'll have to pray with you. Now, there's nothing magical about this space here. Okay? This is not more... In the office I used to work in in the church, I used, there, was a, there was a bit that we'd pray for people and there was often because there was a coffee... It was just in the middle and there happened to be a big coffee stain. So we'd get people to come and stand on the coffee stain. There's nothing magical about a certain part of the building. But there is something good about stepping forward and saying, okay... There's something good in our own hearts say, yeah, that's me. It's, it's basically, sometimes it's a humbling thing where we go, I, I need God today. So I want to encourage you, if, when we say, look, if you'd like to get prayed for today, if you feel like I need God, I want to encourage you to step out of your seat. There's no judgment if you don't, but I would encourage you to be the kind of person who thinks, if there's a chance to be prayed for, I'm in. Yeah? Because it's just, it shows a hunger and an appetite. So we're going to do that in a moment. Um, We'd love to pray for you and to pray. If you're comfortable, we'll put our hand and we'll just ask God to come and touch your life. We'll ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And we'll just pray what it says in the Bible. Come Holy Spirit and come and fill their life again. So let's stand together.